It is Adam. We had the opportunity to speak with Steve Conti over Zoom video. Steve was born and raised in New York, and he talked about how he got into music. Born and raised into a musical household. His mom is a jazz singer. His dad had an amazing record collection, so he grew up around music his entire life. At 15 is when he got his first paying gig as a musician. Him and his brother were actually the backing band for his mom when she would perform. He started out as a drummer, moved on to guitar. He actually took his brother's guitar. His brother then moved on to bass, and they've been playing together since they were kids. Steve talked about all the bands and various projects he's been a part of, everything from Company of Wolves to playing in the New York Dolls to joining Michael Monroe's band, his involvement in the anime world as far as music goes, and all about his brand new solo record, Bronx Cheers. You can watch our interview with Steve on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Steve Conti. This podcast is about you uh, and your journey in music, and we'll talk about the new record you have coming out, what, next month or November? November, yeah. Very cool. Uh, well, real quick, we share a birthday, which I think is cool. You're born oh. September 23rd. Exactly. Same day as Bruce Springsteen, Ray Charles, John Coltrane. Yep. We shared, it was going to say, I knew, I didn't know John Coltrane, but I didn't know oh, yeah. uh, the boss. We shared a birthday with the boss. Yeah, and Ray Charles. And Ray Charles. And I don't know if you know Rachel Yamagata. Do you know her? I do not. She's a great singer-songwriter. Also born, also yeah. born September 23rd. It's a great day. It was a great day, obviously. Yes, it was. Um, <laughs> right on the cusp of Virgo and Libra. So. Right? What do you claim is my so you question. Got all, so you got all the craziness of both. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it depends on what calendar you're looking at, because some people will say you're Libra. Some people will go Virgo. Um, most things say Libra, and mm -hmm. I always thought Libra. That's um, what I, was th I thought as well. Some calendars say September 22nd starts Libra, but uh, I don't believe. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm i'm always balancing you know for I'm, sure i'm a balancer i got it not very right. successfully sometimes either but <laughs> but i try there you go so you were born in new york were you born in new york uh yeah i was born in new hartford new york which is upstate talk to me about that a little bit um well luckily for my music career anyway and Ah, for life, really, because uh, um, I wouldn't have wanted to grow up anywhere else. We left uh, upstate New York when I was nine. Mm -hmm. So I was born up there and, and lived up in uh, the Utica area until I was about probably five kindergarten. Then we moved to Buffalo. Okay. And I went to uh, kindergarten through fourth grade in Buffalo. And then when I was nine, we moved uh, one all the way down, which was like, wow, you know, you guys are going to like Siberia, people thought, you know, <laughs> or, or we were in Siberia, we were moving to a civilization. Um, it was a good four or five hours from, you know, where I grew up. Mm -hmm. I mean, Buffalo is actually eight hours from New York City. So uh, it was like another world, you know, it went from rural, um, we lived outside of Buffalo for a while. We lived in the city and then, and then we lived outside and you know, had a giant yard and woods and everything. So I grew up, you know, like a kid there in the, in the woods playing and all that. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, 
But when we moved to uh, an hour outside of New York City, to uh, New Jersey, um, you know, I got so much more cultural opportunities. Of course, you know, the, just the mix of people, you know, I met my first Jewish people, my first black people, my first, you know, Puerto Rican people, uh, my first gay people, you know. Um, so uh, it was an eye open, um, you know, up there, I, I guess I was too young to kind of realize who was different, who was what, you know, I mean, you don't mm-hmm. think about these things when you're four sure. uh, or five or even nine, really, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of, uh, well, you know, luckily I had very um, open-minded parents who never pushed any of the, that, you know, uh, negative stuff on me. Mm-hmm. And your mom was a singer, right? Or she's yeah. a musician as well? Yeah, my parents were uh, jazz jazz aficionados and fans. My mother was a jazz singer. Uh, my father just had a great record collection. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, jazz, blues. You know, my father had, you know, the mile, all the Miles Davis, Charlie Parker, Stone Cold Train, Cannibal Adderley, you know, West Montgomery, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, all, mm-hmm. all that's the Sinatra, of course. And sure. My mother was a, uh, she's sort of retired from singing now, but she, she still teaches. Oh, wow. Um, but she, uh, she was like a Billie Holiday songbook kind of, uh, wow. Lady, you know, and, and I grew up playing behind her. She kind of raised me and my brother, who's a bass player, to, you know, be in her bands. So, um, well, that's cool. Like, how young were you when that started? Uh, I started playing my first, like, pro gigs with her when I was probably 15. Wow. Wow. I mean, I had been playing, uh, been playing out, like, concerts since I was 11. Mm-hmm. But um, getting paid, you know, actually <laughs> 15. Wow. You know, we started out doing things in church, like mm-hmm. wedding ceremonies. This was like they were just starting to welcome the acoustic guitar into the church. You know, before that it had been like, you know, all the or only organ, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, this was the seventies were kind of opening up into like the folk mass thing where, you know, there'd be a bunch of acoustic guitar strummers on the stage with a a folk group, you know, singing the the hymns instead of, uh, organ. So that, um, gave way for us to do, you know, wedding ceremonies where we do like the song that the people would choose, whatever Cat Stevens, you know, mm-hmm. Peter Paul and Mary, whatever they choose. And you know, I was just happy to have my hands on my guitar and and be, you know, playing music, making money. Mm-hmm. What was you know, what was the first? Never changed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, prior to you know playing guitar, you what were a drummer and oh yeah, I was a drummer. Out? Yeah, I was a drummer first. Um, you know, when I first heard. The Beatles, Ringo, of course. I just, that's what I wanted to do. Play drums. Play drums. And um, um, then one day I picked up my brother's guitar. My brother was the guitar player. I was the drummer. Okay. And uh, I picked up my brother's guitar one day and realized I could write songs on it without even knowing what I was doing. So I thought, well, I can't be stuck behind those drums over there. I got to be out in front. So... uh, (laughs) I made my move and uh, I quickly kind of jetted past him. He had been studying for a 
a year or two already and i just uh-huh. zoomed by and he said hey, i'm gonna switch to bass and that was the best thing that could happen for us because yeah we both still play a bit of drums john I, I taught him to play drums he's actually probably a better drummer than i am now but um uh yeah i i think it's important that we both had a foundation in rhythm first uh-huh. you know? sure did he does he still play yeah oh, oh yeah john john's a great bass player He's played with, yeah, he's in, been in Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes for over a decade now. I wow. Think. Yeah. Where, where are you guys broadcasting from? Where do you live? Uh, Nashville now, but originally oh, okay. from San Diego. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we just moved here oh. about six months ago or so. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. We like it. We love it. Uh, it's yeah, different. I, different I thought about Nashville, California. you know. Uh, I thought about coming to Nashville, but, you know, I think most people leave New York when they're frustrated with New York, when they're like, there's no work and there's no this and there's no that. <laughs> it has not been in my experience. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, the venues have gone down. Right. The, the studios have gone down. The, you know, opportunities for work have definitely lessened everywhere in the music business, you know? Right. But um, I still love New York and uh, I ain't leaving anytime soon unless <laughs> something like major you know happens it makes me want to leave but sure sure right now still good that's good that's good and uh so you were, you started like you said professionally playing as a backup band with your mom and uh how did when did you like you went to school for music like talk to me about getting into where'd you go rutherford i went to rutgers oh rutgers sorry rutgers is um i want to make sure you can see my beautiful zomitis guitar over there say uh-huh. <laughs> um, I went to Rutgers. Yeah, because, um, you know, like I said, my father had all the West Montgomery records uh-huh. in my house. And um, so I grew up hearing that kind of guitar playing from when I was like five, whatever, you know, five, six years old. And um, that just stuck in my head. And when I got to be... I kind of went through the whole, you know, self-taught rock and roll, you know, playing every gig, you know, that a kid could play when you're 13 through Mm -hmm. 17, you know, my mom taking me to gigs in the station wagon, you know, um, playing the whatever teen centers and high school dances and swim clubs and battle of the bands. But then uh, my mom used to come into my room and uh, she would clean my room when I was a kid. And on the dust that would settle on the top of my desk, she would write jazz. And I would come back and I'd wipe it off and I'd write rock. <laughs> so she was trying to get me, she was trying to get me into, you know, playing jazz, but I was like, well, you know, I don't want any part of that's your music, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But there came a certain point where, you know, beyond the, the church, the gigs we were doing, like she was starting to play clubs and, and like full band gigs that, you know, she could hire me for, but I wasn't quite, you know, at the level that she needed somebody to be at. Mm-hmm. So I started studying. And uh, one of the first records I figured out by ear was Tequila by Wes Montgomery. You know, but that, 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 uh-huh. but he played it with his thumb in octaves. And, and uh, that I recorded that onto a cassette as my audition tape for Rutgers and they heard that and they 
accepted me and gave me a scholarship. So I was like, wow, um, what do I do here? Do I go to New York City and start a band? You know, I was out of high school. Do I go to New York City and start a band? I mean, this was still the era of, you know, pretty hard living New York rock and rollers, you know, mm-hmm. or go to college and get that free education and, you know, better myself. So I opted for option number two. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, that's what I did. <laughs> I'm sh- yeah. Well, I'm sure that you're happy with your parents probably were happy with that decision too. I guess. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I learned a lot. I mean, by the time I got out of there, my ear was so good. I mean, I had a, a keyboard harmony teacher, great jazz pianist, Kenny Barron. He was my, and the guy is a you know, major uh, star in the, in the jazz world. If you don't know him, kids out there, look him up, Kenny Barron. You know, he's uh, really a deep musician. And he taught me, I mean, by the end of my schooling there, you know, he could play any chord, bang, on the piano and go, what kind of chord is that? And I could say, oh, it's a 6-9 sharp 11, you know. Wow. That was my, that was my ear training. Um, I still, you know, when I got out of there, I still can't really read notes that well. I mean, I can read them, but I can't sight read if you put a piece of, you know, music across a couple of music stands for me, which has happened on occasion on a session, okay. um, which scares the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not good at that. I will need to like take it away. Hey, give me an hour. I'll go figure it out and come back, you know? Right. Right. But that's not the way it works in studio. So I, I got called for the studio work I got called for was ear stuff and stuff where people would go make up a part, you know, that's what uh, I was okay. for, you know, what do you hear? You know? So, yeah. Was, well, yeah. So what was your first work in the industry outside of college? Um, I, my first road gig, mm-hmm. let's see, I probably played a couple of like recording sessions on a couple of local records there in, in Jersey. And then my first major road gig was with Blood, Sweat and Tears. Oh, wow. You know, the horn band from the, the late 60s. Yeah. Who were, it was like just the lead singer, David Clayton Thomas, and all like young kids, like fresh out of school, you know? Oh, did he just hire a bunch? Yeah, he kind of did like what Buddy Rich would do and, and all the sure. like jazz guys. They would, you know, knowing that they had a reputation that kids would want to come out of school and, and they knew that they were getting recruiting like guys that knew what they were doing because they were all. Right. Like you know, classically trained you know or jazz trained jazz trained off yeah and um so yeah they um yeah it was all young guys you know in their 20s and and this uh, original lead singer and you know i figured me and my brother were in the band and we we had just come out of school where we were listening to you know all that classic bebop stuff coltrane and bird and miles and all that but we were also listening to a lot of contemporary jazz like Mike Stern and Schofield and Jocko and all that. And at one time, Jocko Pistorius and Mike Stern had both played in Blood, Sweat and Tears at the same time. So that was our mantra. Just remember, Jocko and Stern played in this band. <laughs> so whenever it was going bad, we would think we just have to remind ourselves, Jocko and, Jocko and Stern, Jocko and Stern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long did you guys play with them for? Uh, it was, uh, my brother did it a little bit longer than me. 
He did it probably two years or maybe a little more. I did it like a year, year and a half. Okay. And from there, did, were you in a band like of your own at this point too, or just focusing? I had on been, that? Uh, yeah, I had been um, recording demos. Okay. And like trying to get a record deal, but not knowing anyone in the, in the business, you know, I mean, that's, you know, half of, half of it is having the connections, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't have an uncle in the biz or a father <laughs> or a friend or any, sure. I knew absolutely no one. So, you know, I would do stuff like, and I still have all the rejection letters. You know, I would like take my cassette that I would record. I, I would go in, I went in the studio and recorded like a three song demo when I was like 20. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I sent those around just cold, you know, looked in the phone book, you know, what's the address of Polygram Records, you know, <laughs> right. sent my lyric sheets and my cassette tape, you know, into them and, you know, got all the rejection letters back, which I still have. And then, you know, of course, later, whatever, almost 10 years later, I was signed to Mercury, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but um, I think I've strayed from your question. Um, no, no. I was like, so you. Oh, so that's, so that's what I was doing. I was like trying to get a record deal. Right. Um, and had my own bands. And I had started another band right outside and moved outside of New York City. I'd lived in, um, I moved from Matawan, where I grew up, 50 minutes south, to uh, almost a part of Jersey City. It's called North Bergen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was about five minutes up. 10 minutes outside the city without oh, wow. traffic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it was easy to get in and out of the city and I would, mm-hmm. uh, go in there and just try and hustle, you know, meet people and, um, plan sessions and do, you know, Monday night jam gigs, you know, everywhere and sit in with people and just try and get known. Mm-hmm. And, um, while I was playing with Blood, Sweat, and Tears, I thought, all right, that's the way I'll make my, I'll make my living by playing with other people and, and I'll get my, uh, my own thing together, you know, when I find the right people. Mm-hmm. And it took a couple of years, uh, but I met um, the singer Keith Brewer and my brother and I, we formed Company of Wolves and got signed to Mercury and, you know, that must started been, us. That's, that's cool. That must have been really exciting, especially to have your brother in the band and then, you know, finally get signed to a record label. Yeah, that was, uh, I think I had been living in New York. I moved to New York in 86, officially, like, and within a month, I played on my first record for CBS. Wow. Like my first uh, session for a major label, which was great. Of course, I got the record back and they misspelled my name. (laughs) As happens to many people. Misspelled my name with an I, -I. C-O-N-T-I. Don't do that. Um, And uh, yeah, and then within, I think, you know, I was just hustling, playing with everybody, going to auditions. And uh, I played with this guy, Glenn Burtnick for a while. Um, and, uh, eventually I got the gig with Jill Jones. Mm-hmm. Jill was, uh, the singer in Prince and Revolution. 
she sang the first line of uh, 1999. I was dreaming when I wrote this fucking music on the stage. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was the waitress in Purple Rain. And okay. uh, so I became her musical director and guitar player. And we were supposed to tour with Prince, which never happened, fell through. But we rehearsed all summer long for eight hours a day, five days a week for wow. six months. And then uh, his uh, 87 Sign of the Times tour got canceled in the U.S. Um, and I was uh, playing with my blues band around town, just um, trying to meet people. And I met this guy, Jeff Kent who was a uh, sort of a great musician himself, keyboard player, songwriter, and a bit of a promoter. He wanted to start a, a jam night, like a blues jam night. And we started this thing at a club called Under Acne. And it went every Wednesday night, it became a residency for like two years. And everybody in town, and even when they weren't in town, when they came to town from LA or wherever, they would come down and hang out. Julian Lennon, uh, Carol King sat in with us, Cindy Lauper, wow. Phoebe Snow, Willie DeVille, David Johansson when he was Buster Poindexter. I mean, so many, you know, the guys from the Letterman band, the Blues Brothers band. We met all the studio musicians in New York, and that's how my brother and I started. You know, they all heard us play there and uh -huh. started hiring us. And that's where I met Keith. Keith Brewer, wow. the singer from Company of Wolves. Uh -huh. He came down, and then we started writing songs. And so within... Uh, that was 88. So within two years of moving to New York, um, we were being uh, looked at by record companies and got signed in 89, made the record, record came out in 90. And uh, you did that for a few years, a couple of years then, right? A couple of years, yeah. yeah. And uh, as, as happens to many a New York band or many a band from anywhere, um, stuff changed at the record company, mm -hmm. new president, came in and was like, who's this band? And, right. Yeah. You know, but that Is happened that, because I'm, that happened uh, because Nirvana came along and nobody wanted to know about a New York band. It was all about Seattle. Seattle and, and the grunge scene. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I know there were some bands that immediately changed their whole look and sound. And uh, they all of a sudden, you know, these New York dudes who were, you know, wearing black leather jackets and look like the Ramones, all of a sudden they were wearing like uh, flannels and long shorts and, <laughs> and beards tied in a knot, you know, <laughs> heroin. So I wasn't going to go that route. So I stopped, we started my own band with my brother, Crown Jewels, and we went on for a bunch of years and did a bunch of records ourselves. And mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. And then you ended up joining what New York Dolls when they reunited? Yeah, that was, uh, let's see, so 90 years later, 92. But... Yeah, 92. We got out of uh, the deal with Mercury. Mm -hmm. We floated around for a while. Tried to get resigned the band. Like I said, didn't uh, wasn't successful at getting resigned because no one wanted a New York rock and roll band. It's like mm -hmm. rock and roll, fun, good times, <laughs> like like memorable melodies and hooks. No, thanks. Right. We want wrist slashing, you know. I mean, I did like a lot of grunge stuff. I like Nirvana. I like Soundgarden. Mm -hmm. But uh, in general, the, you know, it was like singing about pain. Sure. You know, which 
I had plenty of them. So, right. so you know, I, I, I it kind of gave me a little license to bring some of my darker stuff out there. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we started the Crown Jewels and and did that till probably 1999, and then uh, and then we put out a record, the Contes. Mm-hmm. in 2003 which is i was playing with willie deville yeah from from company of wolves i went to billy squire because billy squire had heard the company of wolves record and he really liked what i did so he hired me for and keith the singer mm-hmm. uh to sing backgrounds on his record and to um play guitar and then from billy i went to willie deville and then from Willie DeVille, I got the call from David Johansson to join the uh, New York Dolls that were reforming. It was just supposed to be for one gig. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did that gig at Royal Festival Hall in London. And then uh, the bass player, original bass player, Arthur Killer Kane, passed away. And um, people had been calling saying, you know, come play this festival, come play that festival. But uh, without Arthur, um, you know, obviously, I guess David Sylvain had a choice to make do we continue without arthur i mean it was arthur's dream to put have that band back together since Mm -hmm. he was you know since the band had ended in 1975 Mm -hmm. you know so it was almost 30 years and uh they decided to in his honor to go ahead and so um we soldiered on for another six years and four albums two studio albums two live albums and um, yeah, it was a nice run. That must have been exciting. I'm, I'm yeah. sure you're a fan of, of the band prior to joining. I actually didn't know much of the music. Um, really? Nope. Um, huh. I, I know it might sound weird, like being a New York guy, but yeah, New York was, rock and roller. I'm surprised. Yeah, but I was I was more into <laughs> I was more into the British stuff. Okay. I was more into Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, mm-hmm. and Hendrix, Richie Blackmore. You know, like players, you know, real, uh, you know, blues players, guys with chops, you know, uh, I was, that's, I grew up wanting to be a good musician, you know? Mm -hmm. So hearing a garage band, which I did, I heard the dolls when I was younger. Um, In fact, uh, quick story, their original drummer, his brother moved to my town of Matawan when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And he used to tell me I look like Johnny Thunders. And I'd be like, who? He said, you don't know who Johnny Thunders is? And uh, he brought all the records to my house. And turned me on to Dolls, Criminals, Civil Lane's band, uh, Heartbreakers, Thunders band. And, um, you know, then 15 years later, I got the call from Joe Hansen. It was weird. That's but, crazy. Uh, but at the time, you know, I, I listened to it. And I was like, okay. Um, it was just not complex enough for me i was like in getting into things that were challenging you know if it wasn't mm-hmm. a challenge like i wasn't really into it i mean i was teaching myself you know yes songs you know steve howe guitar mm-hmm. solo pieces by you know by ear you know so playing a three chord garage song at that point wasn't uh, something that was you know attractive to me i was gonna say it must be difficult when you have that skill set or like that skill level to kind of play more of the the you know power chord rock songs well like, is is it hard to like you know you're probably no, luckily spanning your mind like that 
Well, luckily, um, I grew up with that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up with Stones, Beatles, Chuck Berry. Um, you know, simple. You have to start simple. Dylan. You know, I started with cowboy chords. You know, strumming the open strings, and you know, built the power chords, and then you know, built to learning the pentatonic scales, and you know, but by that. By the time that I had heard the the dolls, I was already like into, you know, much more complex stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, not that I had mastered, you know, because you can always get better at any, in any genre you're in. But mm-hmm. I kind of felt like I just want to keep moving up. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want to get stuck in like the power chord pentatonic blues box for my entire life you know Mm -hmm. which you know some guys have made a whole career on it some guys are older than me and that's all still all they can do you know that's fine if you make a living at it and you love it great Mm -hmm. but i kind of thought you know i want to expand and and have other possibilities than just yeah i didn't think of it when i was a kid like how can i diversify my my talents you know? <laughs> right, it, was, right. it was just like i got Wanting, bored easily you know yeah, you I, was bored with, I, was, I was bored with three chord songs you know right but you know when you get older and mature and, and you, you realize there's a beauty in that and you try and play the shit out of those three chords can mm-hmm. i say shit yeah of course you can okay <laughs> <laughs> well how did you then get into the the anime world um that's another one of those stories where, you know, you, you, I like to say you hang around this crazy town long enough. Um, <laughs> you know, your reputation gets out there. People pass your name around like they did with David Johansson. You know, they, they, um, David asked a couple of respected guitar players, who should I call? And they said, Conti's the guy. Don't call anybody else. He's got the right guitars the right amps the right look mm-hmm. the right attitude and so when this yoko kano uh composer a really talented woman uh came to town i had no idea who she was um i got a call from her translator because she speak that well um, english that well and um they said, uh, we got your name from so-and-so, a drummer, a friend of mine, Jim. Um, he said, you're a good male rock singer. There's a, there's a woman here who's in New York. This guy had uh, recommended me. I sent an audition tape. She liked it. I went in. I sang. And she was doing a solo record. So I went and I sang a lead vocal on her solo record. Mm-hmm. And she really liked what I did. And then she said, I'm coming back in a couple of months to do uh, a soundtrack for um, this new anime that's starting called Cowboy Bebop. I was like, I never heard of it. No one ever heard of it. So mm-hmm. I was like, sure, you know, call me. So um, she did. The first thing I did was sing live with a 30 piece orchestra, which was a bit nerve wracking. You know? Wow. You're in the studio and, you know, studios costing time so you you don't want to mess up and and cost them money yeah the uh, (laughs) hourly rate you know sure you want to get it nail it on the first or second take so uh that was uh 
easier than I thought, but it was pretty exciting. Um, and she loved what I did. So I kept, she kept calling me. I kept coming back and whatever, 20, 30 years later, however long it, I guess it's, that it was about 1998. So yeah, 25 years later, it's like mm-hmm. one of the most classic animes ever. Right. Um, and, uh, the only anime that I know of, at least at that time, that was made by the animators listening to our music first. The animation wasn't drawn yet. They oh, li- really? They listened, yeah. They created the visuals based on our music. Interesting. So, yeah. So, so Cowboy, listening to for, my voice. For, that, for Cowboy Bebop, they didn't have anything? It was just... Yeah. Wow. I mean, maybe, maybe they had, like... Still f- photos, uh, still um, drawings of the characters, what the characters were going to look like, but Nothing they else. didn't like incorporate them into into the animation and, and wow, doing the whole scenery and all that until our music kind of laid out the soundscape for them. That's incredible. Yeah. So that uh, was a interesting fact to learn. Were you in? Were you into anime at all prior? Or just- uh, I hadn't no really I hadn't really known much about it at all. What about now? I had that... seen some Japanese cartoons when I was a kid, like Speed Racer. Oh sure. Know, real early ones. Mm-hmm. Um I mean now my kids are into it. My kids are totally into it. That's but, cool. But not because of me, you know. Right. I mean, when well, I, when I mean I it's told, a huge culture. Yeah, it is a huge culture. And I've done some of the um, you know, animation uh, conferences and that's cool. You know, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy, man. People like dress up like their favorite characters. You you go right, to a hotel. All the cosplay. Yeah, cosplay. <laughs> you go to a hotel and it's just like filled, you know, from the minute you get to the front entrance, you know, through the the check-in desk, down the hallways, you know, the ballrooms are just filled with these kids in these crazy costumes, man. They're just acting out their favorite, you know, players and hey. That's cool. Better than knocking over a bank. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather see kids doing that. Right. And, right. and it's not only kids, you know, it's, uh, it's grownups. Adults. Too, you know? Yeah. I mean, so. Comic Con was in San Diego every year yeah. or it was, and it was fun to just go down there and, and look at people watch, you know, they're all yeah. their crazy cosplay uniforms and costumes and yeah, it's definitely a, it's a scene for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I've, I've played at a few of those, and and people they they love the music from from those shows, and of course you know people ask me, am I going to play that stuff in my shows? I don't really play that in my shows. Like if I go play a you know show in New York or somewhere else with my music, I don't really mix the two. But if I go mm-hmm. to a um, or I haven't really, I, I might consider it someday. Who knows? But uh, if I do an anime conference, you know, it's like. I pretty much do whatever songs I can do because uh, a lot of them had orchestration, you know, mm-hmm. lots of strings and stuff, which is kind of hard. Sure. Um, but I'll do as many of the anime songs as I can do, like, and then fill in my set with uh, whatever original songs of mine mm-hmm. um, fit, you know, along That's with cool. it. That's cool. So, yeah. yeah. So, well, speaking of your solo stuff, uh, talk to me about this record you have coming out. When did it, when did the process on it start? Was it after oh, COVID happened or? It's, I started recording it September, 2019. 
So we had no clue what was about to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I recorded the tracks in, in Brooklyn with my brother, John on bass and Charlie Drayton on drums from Keith Richards, expensive winos and replacements, the vinyls, B-52 is a great drummer. Amazing. Wow. Um, and we cut the tracks and then I overdubbed in my own studio. I did my own guitar stuff and also worked with my producer, co-producer, Andrew Hollander, uh, in his studio to do some vocal stuff. And we finished up by February 2020 when I had to leave and go on the road. I had to go over to Finland because I was playing with um, Michael Monroe, who I've been playing with. Mm-hmm. We didn't really talk about him yet. But um, so I went over there to do a tour and we were about halfway into a six week tour and we got the word, you know, that COVID was raging and they were going to close the borders. And so I bailed out and came home. Luckily the record, the recording was all done. So all I had to do at that point was like finish whatever editing I was going to do and then send it to my mixer. And I pretty much spent the the summer of 2020 um, in the Netherlands back and forth on the computer with my mixer who was in LA nine hours behind me. Yeah. But you know, this is probably the, the fifth or sixth album I've mixed this way. So I'm kind of used oh, to Oh really? <laughs> this yeah. isn't new. <laughs> no. This has been happening since yeah, 2010, I think was, you know, the first album I did with Michael Monroe. He we recorded it in LA and then he went home to Finland and, and mixed it there and we were uh, we were all well, whoever lived in the States was over here and he would send mixes back and forth. What do you think of this? Uh, too much bass, uh, not enough drums, whatever. Comments flying back and forth until we got it right, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's how I mixed this record. And it's called Bronx Cheer. It's mm-hmm. going to come out on little Steven Van Zandt's label, Wicked Cool Records. Drops November oh, yeah. 5th. Yeah. And we've had two singles out already. Recovery Doll which was the first single, which has a video out, a crazy virtual reality video. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, I checked it out. Yeah, because uh, well, I couldn't get into a, a studio with a, a band or a video director. Right, right. So I was like, okay, how am I going to make a video for this song? And um, the director, producer had an idea. He said, uh, let me just, I was thinking about like stills. Should we have a bunch of still photos and lyrics, you know? He's like, I got an idea. Let me try something. So he built this whole, all these virtual humans and virtual wow. sets. And it, yeah, I mean, some, some of them, you can't believe they're not real people, but mm-hmm. yeah. That's really cool. And then I got a new, uh, a new single out, Dog Days of Summer, mm-hmm. just in time for the Dog Days of Summer. <laughs> and uh, I have a video coming for that, which won't come out until the fall. Uh, well, okay. into the fall, unfortunately. But um I basically I have a single coming out every month until the album drops. That's so amazing. Next week, next week, there's going to be another single coming out mm-hmm. September 10th. That's Friday. I don't know when this is going to air. When is this airing? Oh, uh, we'll figure it out. Okay. Uh, we can do it. However, whenever you want it to air. <laughs> uh, so this might be on a sequence to you people at home. If you've already heard my latest single, I'm not going to tell you the name of it now, but uh, <laughs> comes out September 10th 
Right. And then there's another single coming out October, whatever, first week in October. I think they're all Fridays. Okay. And, uh, and then another the one coming out in November. And then the album finally comes out in full in November and people can pre-order it now. Bronx Cheer. You can go to my page on Bandcamp if you want to order a um, signed copy. Oh, cool. I know it's going to be vinyl, LP, and CD. And the digital is also available from the label, Wicked Cool Records. They have a page on Bandcamp or on their website, wickedcoolrecords.com. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, I can't yeah. wait to, to hear the, the record. So it's been mixed, you said, kind of, but you've worked this way before remotely. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> okay. It's a no-brainer, really. I mean, you know, it's just, it just takes a little more time than if you were sitting right there with the guy, you know, and you could right. just say, just push that up a little or just pull that back a little. Right. You know? Well, talk, talk to me about Michael Monroe real quick because I forgot that you, you've played with him for quite a long time, right? Yeah, well, after the Dolls, uh, well, what happened was the Dolls' work was slowing down. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just had a kid. So I was like, uh, my work cannot slow down right now, you know? Mm -hmm. I need to keep going. Mm -hmm. And so the uh, bass player of the Dolls had been, was originally in Hanoi Rocks with Michael, Sammy Appa. Mm -hmm. They started that band, Hanoi Rocks, together when they were kids. And so Sammy had started playing with Michael again. And Sammy uh, asked me to come and fill in. They just needed a guitar player to fill in. And I went and I did a couple gigs with them and uh, they really liked what I did. So they asked me to join. Uh, I said, well, I'm in the dolls, you know, I'll do both as long as I can. And um, just so happened that when the dolls called to do their next album, it was starting exactly on the same date that Sammy and I had been booked to start the new Michael Monroe record. Exactly the same day. They said, <laughs> Okay, we're going to be in England on uh, September 10th. And we said, no, we, we can't do that. We're in Los Angeles on September 10th. Mm -hmm. So um, at that point, they got somebody else. I never officially left the band. They never fired me. It just sort of went one thing morphed into another. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been with Michael ever since because wow. his work has been... Uh, you know, just getting better and better as we, as we write as a band and, you know, bring in, uh, bring in good material and mm -hmm. make great records. So, Amazing. and Michael has had uh, a bit of uh, fame over there on uh, being the, one of the judges on the voice of Finland. Oh, cool. I didn't it's realize, like, you know, the voice, yeah. you know, like voice over here and voice of uh -huh. everywhere, voice of England, voice of Holland. It's the same show. So, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a good run. Um, that's going on. Wow. Last year was, was, would have been our 11th summer, but wow. we haven't worked in two summers because of COVID. Right. Wow. Which is crazy because, uh, you know, summer is the big time for us. Finland has about 150 music festivals and we play probably half of them every year. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. In addition to, you know, Wacken or Wacken in Germany, mm -hmm. um, you know, festivals in the UK, festivals in Italy and Spain. You know, we were scheduled on a bunch of dates with Guns N' Roses that got canceled, stadiums, you know. Yeah, it's been a, 
a real shit couple of years. Sure. COVID. You know. Have you had a chance to play at all yet? I've played, um, let's see, one, two. I've played two cover gigs. Wow. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I played, it was one like outdoors at a, at like a bar restaurant in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. It was really fun. It was me and my brother and our drummer friend, Rich Pagano, who we played with for years. And we just did, you know, all of our favorite classics, you know, Stones, Who, mm-hmm. you know, blues stuff, Credence, whatever. Um, and then another was a, uh, was a private party, um, more of an acoustic gig. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm about to do some, some gigs this fall, uh, September and October, with uh, rockabilly legend Robert Gordon. I don't know if you know his stuff but Mm-mm. um another you know big like following in the footsteps gig for me like like blood sweat and tears was you know following in the in the shoes of mike stern you know mm-hmm. uh with robert gordon it's uh being in the shoes of link ray and chris spedding who are two of my favorite guitar players and absolute legends so actually chris recommended me Link passed away a long time ago but uh, Chris Bedding, who is, is the guy who pretty much, uh, I don't know if he discovered him, but he recorded the Sex Pistols for the first time. Oh, wow. And he's, you know, played with Paul McCartney, Elton John. I mean, he's like a British session. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Legend. Sure. You know, great, great guitar player. And uh, it was an honor that he recommended me for Robert. So I'm going to be doing some um, of those gigs with Robert. Which are great because they, you know, they're kind of uh, rockabilly to me is like a great combination of like rock and roll, mm-hmm. blues, country, and jazz. Mm-hmm. And four things that I love to do and I get to combine them all. It's not like just punk. Yeah, straightforward. You know? Right, sure. Well, that's amazing. Well, very exciting. Very exciting. I can't wait to hear the, the rest of the record. And I appreciate you being here, Steve. This has been awesome. My pleasure. Um, let us know when, uh, when this is going to air, and I'll make sure that I you know, post it out to all Love my it. various uh, sites and everything. I enjoy that. That'd be awesome. Uh, I have one more question for you before I let you okay. go. Do you have any advice for aspiring artists? Um, yeah. Wow. You know, the biz is so different now than it was when I was coming up. I mean, back when, you know, when I was a kid and I was looking at, you know, the, at, at my idols, you know, you could actually think about making, I, it, my goal was never to make money. Really, it was, uh, you know, to get my music out. And, you know, I was into rock and roll and rock and roll was, was a big thing, you know, all my growing up. And now it's probably this much of the, uh, of the market, you know, of music, you know, it's hip hop and pop and kid stuff and rap and whatever. So um, there was a real chance to like do it, you know, when you were a kid coming up in the seventies, eighties, even nineties, you know, but now uh, I think you you got to be really focused on a lot of other stuff besides music, unfortunately, 
like business and social media and marketing and promotion and all that and hashtags and, <laughs> you know, partnerships. And, um, you know, I, I do my best with that uh, when I can. And, um, but the main thing is always, you still got to have the talent and, you know, I see it over and over again with, with kids. They, they just want to, Oh, okay. I wrote a song. Can this be on YouTube tomorrow? And can we start selling it on iTunes? And that, you know, like, no, 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 no. You know, I mean, I do this with my son who's 12 and he's a great singer and songwriter, but you know, kids, they have no idea. They just see that that's what happens. Like some kid comes out like Justin Bieber, whatever, 12, you put it on YouTube, get discovered. Boom. Well, you know, it doesn't always happen like that. You have to develop your talent. So, you know, number one, develop that talent and, and study and, and practice and get good at, at your craft. Take apart songs if you're a songwriter, figure out what makes them great. Um, if you're a singer, you know, sing along with your favorite artists. You know, you're going to, or a guitar player, you know, you always starts with mimicry but then you gotta at some point just do your own thing um but you really develop the uh the musical talent part of it along with the technology and i think most important of all be a good person because there's so many a-holes in this business um who will step all over you and uh use you to get where they're going. Uh, those people get no respect. I mean, maybe they get success, but I don't know. It doesn't, uh, in the long run, you know, I, I believe in karma, you know? Um, and I think whatever you do comes back to you. So, you know, be a good person, be talented and work hard. <laughs>